Good morning, everybody. It is a Thursday morning here in the United States. I'm your host, Brendan Klein, for An American F1. It is the Thursday before the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And, of course, it happened. It's the least surprising news of this race weekend. And that is, of course, that Haas Racing has released Mick Schumacher and has decided to hire Nico Hülkenberg and... I don't know how to feel. On one end, I completely understand Haas's decision. I get it that Mick hasn't been what maybe Haas was expecting. I get that Mick had his fair moments at like Monaco and Saudi Arabia where he cost the team money because of crashes. But at the same time, I don't think that this situation was handled right. And I don't think that this is the right move for Haas. I don't think Nico Hulkenberg is an answer. And honestly, the whole situation, to me, doesn't make much sense. I don't get... I don't I don't get it. I don't get why Haas would go with Nico Hulkenberg when there are other options out there. I get maybe he was a cheaper option. I also think that Mick Schumacher deserved another year in Formula 1. So... To me, this whole thing with Haas Racing does not make much sense. Uh, you know, you could say, yeah, listen, if you look at mixed performances over the last two years, okay, I, I guess you could say, well, you could undoubtedly say he's had his fair of, you know, you think back to France last year when he finally, you know, made it into Q2, ends up crashing his car, right? He has that issue with, um, in France too in the wet. We have, uh, you know, some incidents at Hungary, Monaco, even last year where he missed qualifying. So I get it. And then you have Saudi Arabia, of course, when he's pushing that car to get into Q3, crashes. And then we have, of course, Monaco. But since then, I felt like Mick was growing as a driver, especially this year. And I know when you look at his career in the past, you say, well, he's traditionally been a driver that has taken a year or two to adjust to the car. You know, it's taken him, you know more time so you could argue that as well and and I don't think that Mick has actually had a fair shot to some degree with Haas Racing we know what the VF21 was last year it was a slow car it was one of the worst cars we've seen in a long time and then we get into this year where, you know, I get it. Mick was shown up by Kevin Magnuson in the first race. But again, you have new cars. Kevin Magnuson, for what it's worth, was an experienced racer before that. Uh, but, you know, you have these new cars. And, you know, I just feel like I feel like Mick should have had one more year. And I don't get it. I don't know if there was an issue between like Gunther and Mick or if there was some kind of falling out at Haas, maybe after Austria where Mick got a little fiery, you know, thinking he should have been prioritized over K-Mag. But to me, the whole situation was just seems toxic to me, especially if you're thinking about it, right. So like one of the bigger things was Haas was saying, well, you got to score points. You got to score points. You got to score points. But by the time they were saying that the VF 22 this year had regressed in its ability to score points. And Mick was outperforming Kevin Magnuson. 
So in that degree, I don't get it. Also, if the other rumor is true now, I cannot verify this rumor 100%. But there is this rumor going around that supposedly Mick ended his negotiations with Williams because he was led on to believe there was a route to stick with Haas. And if that's true, if that's true, that makes Haas one of the most shadiest teams on the grid. To, you know, you've looked at other, you know, teams that have let their drivers go or like, like think about Red Bull. Red Bull, for what it's worth, you want to criticize Red Bull, you want to hate on Red Bull. A lot of their drivers, whether it was, you could look at numerous examples like Daniel Kvyat, Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon. They found a way to help those drivers out, at least give them more than one opportunity. I mean, Daniel Kvyat went from Red Bull to Alpha Tyrion was there for a while. Look at Pierre Gasly, right? Red Bull promoted him, demoted him, brought him to AlphaTauri, you know, or at the time Tortoroso, right? So, but it kept him in the sport. And Pierre was able to grow with that experience and then show what he was able to do. And now, you know, he became a team leader at AlphaTauri. And now he's moving on to... Alpine with bigger and better things. So I'm just saying, you know, you look at an F1 career, and I, I think, again, it was Franz Toast that said this, and really I respect Franz Toast as a driver developer. I think Franz Toast is one of the more, one of, how would I say this, one of the more intelligent team boss on the grid. And he said itself in, in respect to Yuki. He was talking about Yuki Sonoda where, you know, a lot of people are questioning why Yuki's getting a third year in F1 because, let's face it, Yuki has not had a brilliant two years either. And Franz Toast, I bring this up because Franz Toast has said, you know, you can't really judge a Formula One driver without three years of experience. And I get that to some degree because you have that first year, that first rookie year, you're feeling, you're getting the feelers, you're feeling it out. And that second year, you're trying to come into your own, but you're going to have some setbacks. Maybe you're trying to push the car a little harder and you're making mistakes that you wouldn't usually make. And that third year is really the time to put together and see what you're made of. If you can't figure it out after that third year, then you should be done. And we've seen that with numerous drivers. I mean, the fact that Yuki Tsunoda and Nicholas Satifi got or are getting or will have had three years in Formula One just shows you the level of management I could say Haas has had. And and this is not to talk trash about Nico Hulkenberg. I have no problem with Nico Hulkenberg. He might end up being a solid decision for Haas. Um, but I just don't think Haas is the team for a young driver to be at. And that's evident. But Haas at the same time, they need to move on from this old veteran wheelhouse that they're in. I mean... Listen, there's no problem when they were getting off the ground, you know, hiring, you know, at the time it was Esteban Gutierrez and Roman Grosjean, I believe. But there's nothing really wrong about having a guy like Grosjean and Magnussen on your team. But to never really recycle, never bring in young talent and let that young talent mature, it says something about the team. And I, I don't think, you know, the reason why Haas isn't built for these younger drivers is because I, I think of their financial situation. Listen, rookies are a liability. And I think Haas 
took the risks of all risks by hiring two rookie drivers. And it's easy to say that in retrospect, I guess. But, you know, why not hire one? Maybe they didn't have the money at the time. But why not hire one veteran driver to guide that rookie driver? You know, we've seen it in other places. Look at the... like. A prime example of this, you look at the relationship or what seems to be a good relationship between like Valtteri Bottas and Zhou Guanyu. I think Valtteri was one of the best hires for Alfa Romeo. I mean, I know they had Kimi and Antonio and they seem to have a good relationship in the past, but I feel like Valtteri has really been a mentor to Zhou and it kind of shows with Zhou's racing ability. And of course, Zhou is a talented, talented driver, but... I think there are many routes you could go with rookie drivers in Formula 1. And I don't think that Haas Racing is that place. And I don't think... You know, you're Haas. You want to build a team. And I get it. They're looking for consistency. They need to score points. At the end of the day, Haas needs to be at top of that Constructors' Championship. And get that extra money. And succeed like that. But in the same respect... You have to find some long-term talent at some point. You know, it kind of reminds me... I know I'm making an American football comparison here, but it reminds you of that American football team that is looking for a quarterback, a leader of their team, and they just, you know, they, they search and they search and they can't find that young, developed talent. So they go to an old, you know, quarterback that is consistent, but maybe he's not so great. And it's the same problem here in Formula One, you know, with Haas Racing, that as good as their intentions are it doesn't seem to work out and and let's get real say what you want about Mick Schumacher you could say you know he has the family surname that kind of thing um the Haas move to hire Mick and and Mick at the time you know Formula 2 champion Formula 3 champion personally I still think Mick has a lot of untapped talent but the move for Haas to hire Mick was undoubtedly Part of my feeling is, I mean, you look at the two rookie drivers they hired. They hired Nikita Mazepin, who brought in, you know, that Russian oligarch money, which ended up backfiring on Haas anyway. And then they brought in Mick, who had the one-in-one sponsor. On top of that, he had the name Schumacher, which, you know, Haas was using that as part of a ploy. And I think it worked. I think a lot of people wanted to see what Haas could do with young Mick Schumacher and see what could happen with that team and I think it did succeed in giving some what would you call it like priority to Haas some kind of like you know fandom to Haas and and honestly I think it did work I I mean you know an American team bringing over one of the sons of one of the best drivers ever in Formula One you look at it on face value for what it is and in part of it it is a little bit of a PR move so I totally get it but I'm just, it's still rubbing me the wrong way. I'm kind of disappointed that Mick is out. And, you know, another part of this, I'm starting, listen, I know we all love Gunther Steiner to some degree, but do we love him because of Netflix? Is that why? Like, are we loving Gunther Steiner, the team principal? Are we learning, are we loving Gunther Steiner, the drive to survive character? Because, you know, for... As much as you want to say about Gunther Steiner, like, you know, look at what he's been able to do at Haas, but, you know, he's made a little out of nothing, I guess you could say. But in the same respect, there is this air of almost toxicity around 
him sometimes, right? We've seen it in the past. But, I mean, honestly, he's going to get angry. But we've seen it in Draft to Survive with the whole Kevin Magnuson, Roman Grosjean, fuck smash door, like that thing. We've seen that in the past. So I do understand that as well. Like, is there an air of toxicity around Gunther? And if, if the situation, again, like I said, was really handled poorly that Mick basically stopped negotiations with Williams because Haas said there was a route for him to stay with the team. That's that's a low move. That's that's pretty insane. And that would if that ever comes out to be true, that would be truly I think a shame on Haas F1. You know, and you know, as much as you want to hear Gunther's comments about, you know, the difference between Hulkenberg and Schumacher and wishing it just seems off to me. It, it felt like the whole situation was hanging by a knife's edge and and you know, Mick was standing right under it and push came to shove push came to shove and what happened was what we have now. But looking at that dynamic now our our Formula 1 grid for the next season is full. We have Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnussen who have the tastiest of relationships to say the least uh on a team together. So that would be a little interesting to see how those two get along. I'm sure. I mean, God, that was such a while ago with the, you know, <laughs> the whole incident between Hulkenberg and Magnuson, but kind of interesting to think of the dynamics for teams that we have going on next year, right? We have Alpine with Ocon and Gasly, who in the past haven't had the best of relationships, the two Frenchmen who were friends and then enemies. I guess you could say they were like frenemies. We have at <laughs> now in recent times, we have Aston Martin with Stroll and Fernando, who also have not had the best of relationships. We have Red Bull, who is also in <laughs> not the best of relationships as well between Checo Perez and Max Verstappen. We'll see what happens this race weekend. And then, of course, we now have Haas with Kevin Magnussen and <laughs> Nico Hulkenberg, who obviously, you know, have had their run-ins in the past. I'm sure we're all familiar with that. I think we are, at least. So, for Mick, though, where does Mick go from here? Like, what are Mick's options? So, I've been thinking about this ever since it's been clear, I think, since before Brazil. I know a lot of people say it was Brazil that sealed the like I guess the quote unquote nail in the coffin in Mick's career, but it was before Brazil that we knew Mick was done, right? Like we had that feeling that it was going to Hulkenberg this whole time. It was one of the worst kept secrets in Formula One, to be honest. So I've been thinking about this for a lot of time and you know what options do Mick ha does Mick have? And one of the rumors out there is a Mercedes reserve role, something like similar to what Nick DeVries has been doing. So Thinking about that, I don't think that's a terrible option for Mick. I think, you know, it would be kind of interesting to see how he would handle being a reserve driver for Mercedes. I think maybe, obviously, Schumacher and the Schumacher family have had immense ties with Mercedes. I think Michael Schumacher was one of the, and Toto will tell you this too if you've ever heard him speak about it, 
Michael Schumacher has been or was one of the you know founding fathers of this modern Mercedes team and it had done a lot to forward that team and make that team what it is today in terms of developing it and I think they high, they obviously they hold Mick um, sorry Michael they hold Michael in high regard and I think Mick also has a good relationship with at least Lewis we've seen that in the past so I feel like it would be good and healthy for Mick to become a reserve driver at Mercedes. I think he might thrive there. And, you know, we've seen in the past with other drivers. We've seen it with Esteban Ocon where he took that year off, dealt with that year, grew a little, managed to, in some degree, luck into a new spot for the next season and, and proved himself a worthy racer in that following season and, and definitely matured. And I think, similar to Mick, Esteban had... A lot of potential, and I think he also got caught up in whether you want to say it's the politics of racing teams, the racing team dynamics, whatever you want to call it. I feel like, well, obviously he did because essentially Lance Stroll came to Racing Point because Lawrence Stroll saved Racing Point. So, you know, you saw that with Esteban Ocon, it worked. He took a year off, came back. We've seen it with also Alex Albon, who's taken a year off. And has come back. And honestly, if I'm Mick, I'm looking at the guy who replaced me as Nico Hulkenberg. I'm saying, and to his credit, Daniel Ricciardo too, right? Like, I'm seeing Nico Hulkenberg come back after all this time off. We've seen, I, I mean, I know there's no comparison, but we've seen Fernando Alonso do it. We've seen Kimi Raikkonen do it. It's, it's not the first time a driver is taken off and then come back. And I know Kimi and Fernando are on their own wavelength they're they're a whole, totally unique situation but still we have seen it happen and we've seen it happen successfully so if i'm daniel ricardo if i'm mick schumacher i'm i'm not gonna say my career is done i'm gonna work hard and get back on that grid and that actually brings me to daniel ricardo and his sabbatical i i think truly we know that daniel ricardo is going to end up being it looks pretty certain that he's going to be not just a reserve driver but a brand ambassador for Red Bull Racing. What does that mean? Listen, Daniel Ricciardo is going to be in a place that I think he really considers his home. I think there's always been a part of Daniel that has been tied to Red Bull. That's always been with Red Bull. So I think this role for him is going to be at least mentally a good move. Will he find his way back to the grid? That's the question. And I think Here's the thing, even with like a driver like, I know I'm circling back to Mick too, but like a driver like Mick, a driver like Daniel, I get like taking a year off, but you still got to do some kind of racing. I mean, I forgot to add, I would like to see Mick maybe try some endurance racing. I think that'd be pretty sweet. Like, oh, if he's in the 24 hours of Daytona or Le Mans, I am totally watching it. And who knows, you know, it, it, it's good to keep your racing abilities fresh to stay. I know he's going to probably do... Some similar uh, simulator work too. I know when Alex Albon was off, he did a lot with DTM. So it'd be nice to see maybe Mercedes hook Mick up. If Mick does go to Mercedes as a reserve driver, it'd be cool to see them kind of maybe hook him up with something that, you know, keeps his skills fresh or at least his awareness fresh. And with Daniel Ricciardo, you know, we know we're going to see him at the track a lot. Will he get a few free practices a la Robert Kubica? I don't know. I know, you know, you do have to have those young drivers technically fulfill that role as well. 
But, you know, it'd be cool to see him in maybe an FP1 or FP2. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what where Daniel goes with this. Um, I think it's going to be nice having him back at Red Bull. It's going to feel like a nice little throwback. And, uh, you know, I think he might, I might, I think he's going to enjoy it. Uh, it'll be an interesting dynamic. Like what happens if things don't go so well next year with Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen, but it would definitely be interesting. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of pumped to see Daniel Ricciardo spend some time at Red Bull a little more. Speaking of Max and Checo, Red Bull actually (laughs) has released a statement on their mistake at Red Bull. On their little, you know, the disagreement between Max and Sergio Perez. And I'm going to read this pretty quick. It's a short statement. It says, as a team, we made some mistakes in Brazil. We had not envisaged the situation that unfolded on the last lap. And we had not agreed to a strategy for such a scenario before the race. Regretfully, Max was only informed at the final corner of the request to give up position without all the necessary information being relayed. This put Max, who has always been an open and fair team player, in a compromising situation with little time to react, which was not our intention. Following the race, Max spoke openly and honestly, allowing for both drivers to resolve any outstanding issues or concern. The team accept Max's reasoning. The conversation was a personal matter, which will remain private between the team and no further comment will be made. First paragraph definitely seems like the team is placating towards Max. And, you know, I get it. I still think, listen, I get what Red Bull's saying here, and I get it. It seems open. It seems honest. It seems like a good dialogue. Still think Max should have given up that spot to Checo. We've seen in the past with other teams, but I'll continue on. This is The second paragraph is more important. The events that followed from a social media point of view are completely unacceptable. The abusive online behavior towards Max, Checo, the team, and their respective families is shocking and saddening, and unfortunately is something that we as a sport are having to address with depressing regularity. That is true. We've seen that with Alpine. We've seen that now with Max and Checo. You know, people like, listen, at the end of the day, Formula One is a sport. It's not your life. You don't have to attack people. Remember... Yes, they might be making millions of dollars in racing. That doesn't give you an excuse to literally personally attack people and their families. Because these are still human beings. And, you know, it's funny because the same people on social media will be all about, like, you know, mental health, mental health, mental health. And then the next thing you know, they're talking about Checo being a horrible father or even saying worse things. So, yeah, there is a lot of irony in what you see on Twitter compared to what happens on Twitter. And other forms of social media, Instagram, whatever. And there is no place for it in racing or society as a whole, and we need to do and be better. Yes. At the end of the day, this is a sport, like I just said. We are here to race. Death threats, hate mail, uh, vitriol towards extended family members is deplorable, undoubtedly. We value inclusion and want a safe space for everyone to work in and enjoy our sport. The abuse needs to stop. This second part, totally freaking true. And I guarantee you, if I looked under the comments under here, there are going to be people that are still going to criticize this paragraph. And it's really sad that people don't get it. And, you know, it is very clear that people should not really be pressing that hate on people like that. There's no need to personally attack people over Formula One. 
also just quite funny. Haas Racing still has Mick Schumacher's cars there. Twitter, uh, Twitter banner. But I definitely do uh, agree with that Red Bull statement. And, you know, it's true. Like, there should be... There, why why attack people personally at the end of the day yes this is a sport but get over people like again they're a human being so that was a lot going on this you know weekend we're going into the abu dhabi grand prix i think you know it's funny i i think back to abu dhabi last year if you guys have ever seen the movie full metal jacket right like (laughs) thinking about Abu Dhabi gives me that thousand yard stare. It's like, especially last year, and it's not that I was I'm, I'm a Lewis fan, but as a Formula One fan, the way that race ended just still after a year, it just doesn't sit right, right? Like, you know, in the moment, it's so funny thinking back to Abu Dhabi last year. Like, in the moment, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like. I legitimately was like, what's going to happen? Like, this is setting up for one of the craziest endings of a Formula One race. And it it would be really exciting. And then when the reality hit, right? And, like, it's really a shame the way... And I hate going back to last year. I want to be over last year. But it's, it's hard to ignore. We're going to Abu Dhabi. It's going to be the story of this weekend. It's hard to ignore that. And, you know, thinking back to last year, right? Like, what happened at Abu Dhabi was both the most exciting end to a race and the least satisfying end to a race. Because I, for one, was getting really, really pumped for the end of that race. And it's a shame that that race couldn't have ended like it did under normal conditions, under the proper conditions. Because had it, had Abu Dhabi 2021 ended under normal conditions, it would have been one of the greatest races in F1 history, one of the greatest championship battles in F1 history. Instead, what we're left with is more questions. It's still, you know, it it took away from a hard fought, one of the best fought seasons ever in Formula One history. And those questions still linger a year later. And I don't know if they will ever not linger. It's going to take a while for that to be in the past. Maybe if uh, maybe if Lewis gets his eighth world driver championship, maybe. Maybe that will be the way it gets put in the past. But I don't think it ever will. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. If I'm Mercedes, I'm still bitter about it. If I'm Lewis Hamilton, I still would feel bitter about it because in I would still feel robbed. I would still feel a little bothered by the fact that I legitimately had a shot at a championship and was in reality on path to crush Max Verstappen in that race. Not by like three seconds, not by two seconds. I believe at the time it was close to a nine-second gap, maybe even further. I can't remember offhand, but it was a big gap. And for that to be taken away because of a poor decision really would leave an empty feeling in my mind. But anyway, going into Abu Dhabi, last race of the year, 
we're going to be saying, you know, a lot of our farewells. No Sebastian Vettel next year. No Daniel Ricciardo on the grid next year. No Mick Schumacher on the grid next year. No Nick Latifi on the grid next year. It's going to be a little different. It's going to feel a little different. A few legends, Daniel Ricciardo and Sebastian Vettel gone. A few, you know, uh, I don't know if there's many. I like Nick Latifi as a person. I think a lot of people are going to miss Nick Latifi, you know, just his personality being in the paddock and things like that. And I think Mick Schumacher, it's going to feel like one of those, you know, what could have been question marks, you know. And since this is our last race of the year, we only have one more chance at one of those shock wins. I don't know if George Russell counts because we've kind of been feeling like Mercedes has slowly, slowly, slowly been clawing towards the top. It, it doesn't feel like the same as like, you know, when Sergio Perez won for Racing Point or Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. We really have been treated to some like shock wins over the past couple of years. We have one more shot for it. And again, we haven't had those every F1 season. We don't need those every F1 season. That's what makes them fun and shocking. But it would be cool. You know, we have one more chance. And if I was going to put my chances, I know people are going to judge me on this. But if I was going to put my chances on a surprise win, I think I would say somebody in the Alpine, Fernando or um, Esteban, those cars, when they're quick, they're quick. I've been seeing a little more like raceability and pace from the Aston Martins too. So they might have the ability to compete barring the right circumstances. McLaren, Lando, Borderline, everybody else I would not expect to win. But those are, and, and of course, Lewis, I think Lewis wouldn't be a shock win to me, but one more chance for Lewis to get a race win and you know, get a race win in almost every season that he's competed. So looking forward to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. It's been definitely an eventful day, week, you know, waking up to that news about Mick Schumacher, but really glad you guys are listening. I'm going to come back to you on Sunday with our Abu Dhabi season finale race breakdown. Although I guess I'll actually post it on Monday. I'll record on Sunday, but enjoy the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix last week of Formula One racing. Get excited, get pumped. And I'll talk to you guys on Sunday. Follow me on Twitter at AmericanF1. And follow us on Twitter as well at F1Idiots. And the website www.f1idiots.com. Thank you guys. And have a great day.